you know, if you, if you think about like a plant or a flower and you pull that flower out from the roots, it, it really is a good representation of what happens in El Rosario. You, when a father leaves, you uproot that plant and you have to come in and you have to prepare the soil again and you have to, you have to start repair that to bring life back to that, to that plant and to that family. We're going to take these boys by the hand and walk alongside them as they journey to get to know Christ more, um, to get to know Him deeper. If you pull a root out, it's going to die. If you just leave it like that, it's going to die. But if, if we can then come back in and start to, to prepare that soil again and start working at the roots with, with the boys, then we replant it. Now we have something that not only could it grow back, it might grow back stronger. It's not just about teaching these young men to respect their mothers and to respect their families, but it's about giving them the understanding of Christ and His love and making them fall in love with Christ. When the father leaves, everything changes. The game changes. All of a sudden, there's no income. There's no income in the family. So they're left to go gather firewood. They're left to clean the dishes, clean the house, take care of the kids. And they really don't even have a lot of opportunity to gain income. So their lives are turned upside down, totally uprooted. In Guatemala, families are uprooted every single day. My favorite part about the Boys Academy is watching David and George, both men of God, reach in and take hold of the hands of the little boys there. I love thinking about El Rosario, where we will be in 10 years, how we'll get to watch boys who have grown 10 years in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Disciple them, teach them about God, and give them an amazing example of what it means to follow Christ. Discipleship is what Jesus came to this earth for. He came to pay, pay the penalty, pay the cost for our sins, and he came to disciple 12 men. And really, that's what we're here for. We're here to disciple boys. This is not about here and now. This is not about our lives today as missionaries. This is about making a generational change. This is about doing something that will last long after we're gone. For us, the most important part about being here, it's all about discipleship. Looking forward to this for 12 months. This is the beginning of our missions week. We've expanded our mission celebration beyond a weekend to a full week. So tonight and over the next eight days, there will be something happening uh, every day 
that, that hosting missionaries and such. I want to draw your attention to the flyer that you got when you came in. It spells it all out. And I won't go through them all each, but, but beginning tomorrow night, there are gatherings where we are in the building here where we're hosting missionaries that Timberline supports. Uh, and that we have teams go and participate in ministry with. And so you can look through there. We'd love for you to be a part of any one of those. Uh, this weekend, is during our regular weekend services, we will be, we have a guest missionary speaker, Ron Bueno, and a bunch of other things. And then next Wednesday night, um, we will be uh, in the main auditorium from 6 to 8 o'clock. And uh, we want you to come. Uh, we will be, I, I don't want to explain the whole thing to you, but our whole building will be set up with five different, as five different countries. In fact, this room will be set up, I believe, as Guatemala. And so I won't tell you all about that, but you won't want to miss it. The taste, the sounds, the feels, the, I don't know my five senses, but all that stuff uh, of each of those countries uh, will be displayed for you to participate in. So we, we want you to come. That is a ticketed event. And I know this is the third week in a row on Wednesday night I've said that. We want you to get a ticket on the way out. Stephanie, are you back there? John, wave your hand because that's where Stephanie's going to be sitting on the way. That's not Stephanie. Thank goodness. Uh, but, but stop by there and buy a ticket. Again, uh, there will be regular children's programming as well as an expanded missions children program. So uh, we want you to come make sure you get your ticket uh, on the way out. I'm going to have the ushers to come at this time if they will. And I'm just going to quickly thank God for his uh, faithfulness to us as we give back as an act of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And so God, in response to that, we give back to you. And with these gifts, God, we pray that you would extend your reach, your love, your work in this community and around the world. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ushers. Okay, uh, you just heard from George by video, and we're going to talk a little bit more with him in a few minutes, as well as a couple of other uh, Timberline ambassador guests that are here. But let me just quickly, I'm going to try to just kind of set the table for you a little bit um, for this week. Our theme of the week is called Passport Through Partnerships, and we are highlighting five of our church-to-church partnerships. Of all of the 90-some missionaries or missions works that we support around the world, there are five that we, that we kind of hold as church-to-church partnerships, and we put a very high value on. Please don't hear me say we value them more than any other missionary or mission work that we do, but they reflect one of our core values. One of our core values being that we will work through local churches in other cultures to support them and to elevate them to do God's work in their community in the same way that God has, has called us as His people in this community to reach out and to be who He has called us to be. And so we single them out and we're highlighting them throughout this next week. Why do we do that, people say? And if you study global missions, and we won't, if you, even if you go all the way back to the Great Commission, there are, theme, there are, are shifts. You know, everything kind of has a pendulum, and, and missions certainly has that. And so there are themes that have emerged and pendulums that have kind of swung. And in the last, a couple of our core values are reflected in those shifts over the last several years uh, in our lifetime and even going back to the beginning of the, the 19th century. The first of 
of those is in, in, from 1900 to 1930 was called the Great Reversal. And what had happened is that mainline denominations and missions and in our own country had begun to really become forces in social work, social reform. They were committed to uh, uh, change within communities globally or locally. And, and it, was, it was very much focused on people's socioeconomic needs and physical needs and that kind of thing. And the evangelical, within the evangelical church, there was a huge rebellion against that from 1900 to 1930. And a rebellion that said, no, that's not what we're to be about. We're to be about saving souls. And people will, will they won't be hungry when they get to heaven. They won't be sick when they get to heaven. It's a, and it was more of a look at, the, the, the kingdom is ahead of us. Right now, we just need to get people across the line and get their souls. So there's this huge rebellion and even kind of a speaking out against anything within the church or missions that was about uh, social reform. Well, as you know, if you look at missions today, many of missions, if you look at our themes and missions, even here at Timberline Church, we talk about the You Count campaign, anti-human trafficking, orphan care. Uh, we do medical clinics. Very much, in fact, you might say most of those that we support in missions are in many ways committed to holistic and compassion-based ministry. And so that is a substantial shift that's taken place in the last hundred years to where today uh, the, the, the embracing of a holistic approach to missions is very, very prominent. Does that make sense? So that's one shift, and we're grateful for that. By the way, some of the shifts that have taken place in missions aren't always good. Some of them can be destructive, and we won't name them by name, but these are ones that, that have really been good, and we've, and we've seen the church take leads in, in, in ways that they hadn't previously. Another shift would be from more of a, what I would call a Santa Claus syndrome, where, where North Americans go to other parts of the world and they come with all the answers. And we'll teach you how to do church. You need to be like us. We have the resource that you don't. Uh, we'll show you how to worship God. We'll show you how to pe heal people in your community. And, and we, as North Americans, again, I call it a Santa Claus. And if George he could share with you in a few minutes, I know he's experienced this in many parts of Guatemala. If you walk in there as a North American, people just start chanting gringo. And then immediately they just want to, what do you have for me? And so rather than being perceived as the people of God, we're perceived as people who have something else that I want. And so... There has been a shift in, 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 academic, uh, in academic circles, there's been a, a, a shift towards what we call indigenous leadership and a focus in missions to say, we are not as North Americans to go and to be the answer in other cultures. Rather, we are to go and to support God's people in those cultures and to lift them up and to raise them up and to, and to grow them and to bring whatever we may have to support them so that they can be God's people in a more effective way in their community. Does that make sense? And so there's a shift there. Those are two shifts. that really, So these, these really reflect core values for us in missions at Timberline. So real quick, I'm going to go through, before I have our guests come up and share with us, I'm going to go through a couple of scriptures that support these themes. In Isaiah... Uh, chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, when we look at 
what, what was God's... And again, you guys, I'm pulling out a couple of scriptures. We could talk for a year and a half worth of Wednesday nights to support the, 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 the biblical mandates behind these shifts and, and these mandates that we could work this way. But the first is an understanding of God's... I lost it. Uh, an understanding of God's uh, mission to the people of Israel. Isaiah 1, chapter 10 uh, verse Isaiah 1, 10 through 13 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? And he goes on and on and he rebukes God's people. God's chosen people are being rebuked b- b- for their sacrifices and, and their, their practices, their religious practices. And he gets down in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, and he says this, Wash and make yourselves clean, Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. And there's time after time after time in the, the Old Testament that God through prophets and through, through, through his voice rebukes his chosen people to say, I have called you to care for the poor, to care for the broken, to care for the needy, but you have neglected that. And, and, he, and he cites that when Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. We think it's because of sexual debauchery and that kind of thing, which it was partly that. But he specifically says they didn't take care of the poor, as I mandated. And so when we understand the, the, the mission of God's people from the very beginning, then when we look at Jesus' mission, again, if we're going to define what missions is for us, we can look at, 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 at God's people in the Old Testament is chosen people. Jesus' mission, Luke chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. Uh, this is the very beginning of his mission. Uh, he says, he opened up the scroll there in the, in the, in the um, temple and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so again, he defines his ministry, Jesus' ministry, as that is directed to the poor and changing what is happening here on earth. Interesting enough, in Luke 7 again, and I love this passage because it's when John the Baptist, it's at the end of his life, he's in prison, he's about to get his head cut off. And so he sends his followers to Jesus. Now he spent his whole life proclaiming the truth of Jesus, the coming Messiah. And at this time, he has doubts and he sends his, his followers to, to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for someone else? Isn't that amazing? After everything that he did, he, he's about to get his head cut off and he has this doubt. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus, even at the end there, says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, the blind have received sight, the lame walk, those who have, have leprosy have, clen- have are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So again, it, it, even in this evidence that he sends back to John the Baptist, he says, That's, that means I am the Messiah, that those things have happened. And then finally, the mission of the early church, 1 John three sixteen through 18 says this. I love this as a great defining passage for the mission. When, when God established the church here on earth. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And so these two themes are supported by 
that the, 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 these shifts are supported by those themes of Scripture. This one, you guys, is a little bit more challenging, I think, in all of the, the, the work that I do and the travel that I do in missions. This is one that I think North Americans still struggle with. Because we don't like to give away leadership, do we? We don't like to, we, we, we still kind of operate under this mode that, that we have everything to give. But our theme for this week is that we are celebrating and recognizing and shining a light on these church-to-church partnerships because it's a core value that we as North Americans, we are not, you guys, uh, God's church in any community is His bride and the hope of the world. We are not. The best use of our time, talent, and treasure is to support His people in the communities that God has laid on our hearts. Whew, I said that as fast as I could. Okay, let's get to the good stuff now. I'm going to invite Jenica and Sarah uh, to come up. George is going to join us on the screen here. He's been sitting here looking at my ear uh, for the last 10 minutes. And uh, we're going to hope this, that technology works. George is in Guatemala. Um, I had the great privilege last month uh, w- w- when I went down and had some other business to do there. I got, oh, where's our stools? You can't sit on my lap. We're not going to allow that. Can, can we get, we're going to get some stools up here in a minute. So can you, I'll stand until you, and, so I won't sit before you can sit. Okay, uh, but to, to see what George has done, many of you know George, recognize George. He and his family were called out uh, from, uh, from Timberline Church. God, he'll share a little bit of his journey. Went out and God has led them into some incredible work in, in, a, in a beautiful, beautiful community there uh, where, where, where God is working in the lives of, of, of poor families. And uh, we'll, I'll let him share more about that. We have... Uh, we, we, when I first got here four and a half years ago, I met with our, our missions leaders and we had, we had a, a big several hour meeting to discuss and to say, what, what do we want God to do at missions here at Timberline? And one of the things that was stated is that we want to see God, more people go out. Uh, people in the room talked about uh, Gwen, who is here tonight, who had gone, who, who, who had gone out uh, from Timberline. Uh, several years earlier, and but but that more people would be called to go out into full-time missions. And when I heard that, I thought, well, that's great. I don't know how to make that happen. And I even said in that meeting, you guys, that's 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 going to be the result of a lot of prayer and just praying specifically that God would move in people's lives. I don't really know how to program that. Well, we have had many several people uh, go out and be called out into full-time uh, missions since then, and you're going to meet a few of them. Uh, tonight. So I'm going to quit rambling and start asking these guys some questions. We refer to these guys as Timberline ambassadors, which means that they're, they're either full-time missionaries who are going for the rest of their life, or they're going anywhere between one, two, three, four, five years, but they're being called out from Timberline Church as a part of our body and uh, going out. And so we're, I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves to you. We're going to start over here. Well, George, you've been sitting there a long time, and so we're going to start with you. Uh, George Cisneros is with us. George, tell us a little bit. Uh, how did this happen? Go back to the beginning. How did God begin to move uh, in your heart to lead you where you are now? Mark, uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, how happy, happy I am. It feels so uh, surreal to be able to be talking with everybody from our home church. So thank you for being here tonight. And Mark, for me, it started back in, in November of 2010. I just 
finished watching the Denver Broncos, believe it or not, lose this big game. And I don't know why, but I, I, that day, uh, God chose to talk to me. And um, I don't know why he chose that day, but I felt God asking me, George, do you love me? And, and I remember thinking, I just blew three hours on this, this football game, and God is trying to talk to me. Do I love God? And, and it's kind of a, a humbling question. And, and I said, of course, I, I love you, God. And then he asked me, I, I just felt him question me, do you love me more than your wife? And I really, I, I just had to answer it the way I knew it. And I said, I, no, I, I love my wife more. Do you love me more than your kids? And, and I, I couldn't say that I loved him more than my kids. But as funny as this next statement is going to sound, uh, it, was, it was the toughest conversation, the toughest question I've ever had. Uh, when, when talking with God, and, and God asked me, do you love me more than the Denver Broncos? And, <laughs> which is crazy. But, but the reality is, uh, it was put on my heart that I didn't love him more than the Denver Broncos. I had just spent three hours watching a, a game, um, a game, and I had never spent three hours alone with God. I had never prayed to God for three hours. I had never read my Bible for three hours. And so it was a really humbling time. I, I got together with my wife that night. We talked about it. We prayed on it. We slept on it. And the next day, uh, I basically stopped praying. And I stopped praying for my businesses to succeed. I stopped praying for safety for my family. And, and, and I stopped praying for uh, anything that had to do with me. I stopped praying that day. And I basically traded all those prayers for a three-word, a four-word prayer. And it was, God I love you. And I prayed that prayer for an entire year. And it was a year later while I was on a mission trip to Guatemala with Timberline Church. And I'm never going to forget where I was. It was Zone 6 in Guatemala City. And uh, it was at a feeding center that was being run by, and still is run by, Pastor Araceli. And there were 200 kids. I remember walking into this, this big building, uh, this big room, and there's 200 kids. And they were having this praise and worship before they ate the, their meal that day, and every kid had their their hands hands in the air, and there's a couple of a specific kids I can just I can picture them now, and their hands are in the air, and they're they are giving praise to God. These kids are, are not Pastor Adeseli will tell you they are not poor kids. These kids are poor, poor. Uh, it, it's a different level of poor, and and I realized that God was feeding his children. He was giving them their daily bread, and it was enough. That was enough. And on that day, I realized that God is enough. I don't need anything more than God. And it was on that day in November of 2011 that I fell in love with God. And on that day, God called my family to be here in Guatemala. Awesome. Thank you, Drew. I'm going to have to resist the temptation to add to these guys' stories because I've known these guys. And that was the first day I ever met George. And I saw God begin to stir in his heart. And then that journey that followed. And here we are two years later and, and, and God is doing amazing things. We'll come back to George uh, in a minute. Jenica, same question. Um, okay, so my journey for missions started um, about five years ago. I went on my first mission trip with 970 to South Padre Island, Texas, and 
came back from the week um, serving college students on the island and found myself in Pastor Reza's office, um, just really struggling with the idea that there were still people on the island that never got to see Jesus' love in a tangible way. And um, at the time, I was at CSU studying um, to be a zoologist, whatever that meant, and um, just started going through this journey of what it would mean to um, love people and let that be my job. And started going and doing more stuff with missions department here and started leading um, Beach Reach with 970 and then spent two months, month and a half um, in South Africa two years ago and started working with youth. And that's when um, God really used specific little children um, to just give me a heart for kids and um, a heart for Africa, really. And then um, through that, just really um, grew to understand what it meant to um, pursue after God and to pursue his people and his children and um, to share his love and then got to go to Zimbabwe over the last summer and um, work with some teen girls for a little while and just really had my heart broken for them um, and just kind of the situations that they're in and found myself um, just really compassionate for them being fatherless and homeless and all these things and found um, myself being able to relate with these same girls um, halfway around the world. And so that's been the journey essentially in the last five years. That's the beginning of the journey. We're going to talk a little bit more about to be continued in a minute. Sarah Miles, same question. Same question. Um, My call to ministry happened way before even I was a Christian. Um, I remember back in high school and junior high being really distraught about people who were the underdog or poor or suffering, and it just always, always bothered me. And it wasn't until I became a Christian and gave myself to Jesus that I started to see people going on mission fields, and it was my first mission trip was to Africa. And it opened my eyes to the poor, But what it really opened my eyes up to was they relied on God every day in a way I had never seen. It was incredible. I mean, they just prayed through everything. They loved him. They just followed him. And they had nothing. But yet they had everything because they had him. He provided for them. It may not have been a lot of materialistic things or big meals, but they were taken care of. Um, I came home and just, I knew I wanted to be on the mission field, Um, but I had a daughter, and so I thought the best thing I can do is give time and serve here locally. So um, at one of the services at Timberline, they said that, you know, you can go and help at the mall, or at the tables at at, uh, Brewfest, and I thought, you know what? My dad was an alcoholic. My stepdad was an alcoholic. I'm going to go honor them this weekend, and I'm going to work with kids that have been drinking and show them the love of Jesus. And that just catapulted um, my work with 970. Uh, Reza that night, again, Reza is key to both of our stories. 
um, brought me alongside of him, and I started doing the leadership role of missions. And I got to lead on Jenica's first mission trip, and I got to baptize her. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. So anyway, so over the years, I've kept going back to Africa and um, knew I wanted to be there. And so the last, for six months, I went on the mission field. I served in many capacities, but it was at that time that I got to rely on God for everything I needed. And I got to change girls' lives, and they got to change mine. Praise God. And now I will never sit in a cubicle again. <laughs> I'm going to be praising God out there in the world. Praise God. Awesome. You know, I come to think of it, and George, Reza is actually George's pastor. And I and actually, Reza, I can blame for most of this, I realize. Absolutely. So I, I, I had thought of that before. Um, Jenica, let's jump over to you. Just as quickly as you can, describe... Uh, the, the the scope of the ministry that you're that you're going to and the, and the role that is there waiting for you. Um, I'm going to work uh, with the local AG church in um, a little village called Overspill, right outside the capital city, and they have an orphan care ministry that provides host and foster um, care families for the orphans and underprivileged youth in the community. Uh, but there's a specific need to reach out to these young girls, um, ages ranging 9 to 18, that um, are either pregnant or have been pregnant, and then they also have either been affected or infected with HIV. Um, And so I'm going to provide um, health services, education, life skills training, um, things like that, just to kind of be a big sister and a support role to them and to the orphan care ministry that is operating out of the church. How many of you, and I'm guessing some in the room, Larry and Rhonda Allen, missionaries that Timberland has supported for a number of years, raise your hand if you have met them or if you've been on a trip with them. I see a few. There's Dick. There's a few. Uh, I think Timberline has done, we discovered, three or four trips uh, with the Allens. They will be here on a Wednesday night, last Wednesday night of the month, and so you'll get to meet them, And, and uh, but but... Jenica is going to, to serve under their leadership and be mentored by them and continue this journey uh, as God shapes her and, and leads her into missions. So, uh, Sarah, same question. What is your role? Where, where, tell us a little bit about Rahab and, and your role there. Okay, I'm going to be in Kampala, Uganda, and I'm going to be working with an organization uh, Rahab Uganda. We will be empowering girls through um, vocational skills, education, life skills, and helping them to start small businesses. Um, all of these girls have either been sexually exploited or trafficked, and so we bring we help bring them back, rescue them, and provide skills and services so that they can make better life choices. Um, my role at the center will be Um, the business aspect of it, teaching them business classes, coming alongside of them, Um, a lot of of just listening to their stories and helping them to make better choices. Rahab, by the way, I believe you said is all led by Ugandan uh, women who who come Mm -hmm. out of the local churches there. Mm -hmm. Rahab was birthed by 11 Ugandan women 
who all came together at a Bible study, and they started fasting and praying and saying, where can we serve in our community? And out of that came the um, home for girls under 18 who had been sexually exploited. That was 2005. Through the years then, they started realizing that girls were being trafficked and they needed to assist there. They also saw a need in their own community with girls that are over 18 who didn't want a home setting but needed life skills, education, um, people to come alongside of them to change their lives. And so they opened a drop-in center. Um, Each one of these women that started this are major key role people in their community. We have a doctor. We have lawyers. We have women that are teachers. I have the director um, and her husband have a church. So she's a pastor's wife. These, it's incredible, like Mark was saying, you come alongside of what they're doing. I'm not showing up doing anything for myself. They have organically grown this. All the funding that comes to them is from Ugandans. You don't see that any, at all. It's very rare. So it's, to me, that just meant so, so much awesome. that I knew that that's where I needed to be. You're going in September, by September. By September maybe 30th. Good. Okay. Good. Jenica, you're going? By August 16th. August 16th. Okay, George, we saw your video, which was very well done, by the way. Um, but, but fill in some gaps for us a little bit. What is, I know when you went and you said, I'm going to be there for a while learning the language, learning the culture, and then just seeing what God leads me into. And he, he's clearly done that. Tell us a little bit about the ministry there. Well, the, the reality is there is a true epidemic of single motherhood in the villages of Guatemala. The men are leaving the wives, they're leaving uh, the families at crazy rates. It's really unbelievable. And and we we actually see sometimes where a father has left this family, starts another family, and, and we've seen them go to even a third family. And it's just so discouraging. And so the, the first part of our ministry is really just standing with those single moms. And so that's important to us. We want to make sure they have enough to eat. So many of the moms that, that we met when we first uh, started ministering in, in the community of El Rosario, they weren't eating. They were literally, um, you know, they were hungry, and it was, it was really tough. So we make sure that they have enough to eat. And, and right now it's more of we're trying to uh, help them to find enough work to be able to support their family in, in a way that they're able to feed their family and, and not get into debt. And so there's no quick fix for that. It's uh, what we found out is there's no big business that's going to move into this little village. And so it's literally just been a lot of prayer and it's just one at a time. And and incredibly, over the last 12 months, we have seen uh, 10 women find jobs that are uh, significant jobs that, that pay for food for their family. That's the first part of our ministry. And the second part is Monday through Friday. And this is really, um, it's, it's just my favorite part of the ministry. We love it, and, and we feel so great um, being a part of it. But we meet with 50 boys after school. We feed them a healthy meal right away. We help them with their homework. We teach them English. And the reason we teach them in English is uh, it just gives them more opportunities for jobs in the future, and that's, that's the big reason for that. And then we teach them all about God, and, and they soak it up. If, if you ever want to see... Uh, 
someone have hunger and thirst for the Word of God, it's these little kids. And so, we, listen, we realize that we, we're probably not going to see these boys, you know, get married and, and grow old with their wives necessarily, but we believe that, that we're planting the seeds for that. We don't think that we'll probably see all of the fruit that's going to that's gonna bear out, but we are confident that we are going to be seeing a lot of them in heaven, and for us, that's enough. Awesome. Praise God. I'm going to come back to you with a question, George, that, that wasn't on the script. So I'm putting you on the spot. You guys can start thinking about it. Okay. What is? T- tell me one way in this journey, and it, it, this could even go back to before you went to Guatemala, part of your fundraising, whatever it was, I, I don't, that you saw God show up like you never have before. I mean, one of those moments that just stands out. I mean, I know, George, when, when we step out in a sacrificial way to take a huge step of obedience, as, and we reflect back on any part of that journey, there are some what I would call altar moments where, 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 where God moved in a very substantial way. What, what, what is one of those? Listen, you know, obviously when I had that conversation with God uh, after the football game, that was a big deal for me. But, but since then... Um, think about this. I had never been on a mission trip in my life, and my wife had been on multiple mission trips, but we had never talked about being full-time missionaries, nothing like that. I just went on this week-long mission trip uh, with Timberline Church, and God spoke to me, and he was very clear, and I felt it a very strong uh, calling to, to do full-time missionary work, and not... Listen, we're not, we never, not once did we say, listen, we're going to go out for a year or two or we're going to try it or anything like that. Like we, we were sold out. But if, if you think about it, um, imagine going on a trip. So if, if you're one of, the, one of the people that are coming to Guatemala at the end of this month and you're coming on a missions trip, imagine going back and talking to your wife and saying, hey, by the way. And, and so for me to be able to go back and talk to my wife and within 24 hours, uh, we had made the decision to sell our two businesses, sell our cars, sell our beautiful home in Windsor, Colorado, and, and pack, sell everything but 10 suitcases. Uh, let me tell you what, uh, only God could do that. And for, for me, that was, that was probably the biggest God moment of my life. Awesome. I, I, I slept in the same room as George, and I remember some of those phone conversations with your wife where you're kind of saying, listen, babe, th- th- something big is coming. Uh, this guy's in trouble. He, he needs to not even go home. Awesome. Thank you, George. Uh, Sarah? I think some of the biggest, or two of the biggest God moments were um, clarification that I was where I needed to be. Um, the first one was I had been... I had been struggling with doors opening up when I was in Uganda, and everybody I kept talking to, the door would just shut, or it just would fall through. And so I remember getting down on my knees and just saying, you know what, God, I need you to hit me with a two-by-four. I'm just not getting this. Where are you taking me? What am I supposed to be doing here? And um, I was in a small town about nine hours from Kampala, from Kampala. I came back up to Kampala, and I had 24 hours to get ready to leave the country because of my work, of my visa. I can only be there at 90-day intervals. So I went to the bus stop or the bus station because I needed to get a ticket to go to Nairobi. Talked to the lady, 
And she said, yeah, come at 5 o'clock tomorrow. You can get on the bus. I go back the next day, get on the bus, or go to get on the bus. Tickets are sold out for two days. I start freaking out. I'm like, I need to be out of the country. I'm like, am I going to get arrested? You know, I'm just thinking all of these things. I go two doors down, and a gentleman starts calling around other bus companies. He gets me all the way across town, and I get a ticket. They have one left. I got it. But what happened was this gentleman comes to find me to make sure, because he was, like, freaking out. He goes, I just sent this American woman by herself all the way across town. And he's like, I just wanted to check on you, make sure that you're okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then he starts telling me his story, and he's a Muslim, and, and what he had done in his lifetime, and just we're talking. And then he says, can I pray for you? And I'm like, wow, God is like using a Muslim to pray for me. You know, it was just this surreal moment. And I'm like, okay. As he's praying for me, um, right ends, and I'm like, isn't God just amazing? This gentleman walks by and says, yes, he is. God's amazing. And he's another white guy. And small story short, we get on the bus. We sit next to each other. And we start talking, and he's like, so what are you doing here? And I tell him, and he's like, what do you want to do? And I tell him. And then he tells me his story. He's a professor at a Bible college in Chigali. That's Kigali, Rwanda. And his wife is a teacher at an international school. And I said, oh, that's kind of funny. Um, I mentored a girl that was from Burundi who lived in Fort Collins, where I'm from, and I met with her on Fridays to mentor her. He looks at me and goes, is that Bonte? I'm like, no way. I mean, God just placed this guy in my life. He is the key person who introduced me to Rahab Uganda. Mm, praise God. I meet Rahab, the director, on a Tuesday, and I ask if, I could, if she would mentor me, and she said, absolutely. Sunday, I go to church, and I loved church there. We would praise and worship, and then we had to pray with the person on our left. So I was like, I'm praying with Mama Marine for her daughter, for her school. She's praying for me. She's like, what do you want prayed for? And I said, well, I started with this new organization, and I just want to be a blessing to them. Thursday comes around, and I meet all the trustees. So this is the 11 women that started this organization. This woman walks in and goes, don't I know you? And I'm like, I have met a million people. I don't know. And she goes, yeah, I prayed for you on Sunday. And then she, like, just got ecstatic. She goes, I prayed for you on Sunday for this ministry. And then it just, so God just placed people over and over again in my life. And those are my two-by-fours, and I'm going to build a house. Awesome, awesome. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, Jenica, quickly. I know that. And it's never fair. Go ahead. Stop talking. Okay. Um, I think for me, the biggest um, part has been in the journey of um, getting ready to leave. And I'm really stubborn and leaving my friends behind and my family and my church that I've always gone to and everything has been really difficult. And so um, for me, it's been 
the way that God has affirmed that I'm supposed to go. Um, Pastor Rob Coles has spoke twice now um, on the same kind of theme of being chosen last and God choosing people even when the world chooses them last. And um, I was going through the circle maker and just praying circles over um, getting ready to leave for Zimbabwe. And um, one of the things that I just kept seeing God like repeat to me is that in my life and just kind of my history, like I was chosen last and he's going to use that to be a part of these girls' story and a part of showing them that God does choose you. And um, it's just been really powerful because it's it's kind of crazy. And you're like, how is God going to use your life and your story and all these things that you've experienced? And um, it's just been really cool to see that um, everything that I've kind of grown up with and, and dealt with and things like that, um, God is using for something really awesome for girls that are in similar situations and it's just really beautiful and so I think that I've been clinging on to that and to know that like I am affirmed in this and that God is um has a purpose for me and even though it's scary um and hard to leave my friends they're all over there so cute um anyways my friends um that and my family and just church and life here that there's a purpose and there's girls there that need me and need to hear that they are chosen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, this last question, I'm not going to let you answer. I'm going to answer it for you uh, for the sake of time. I found out Pastor Brent feeds these guys cake and cookies at the end. And so I I have to, I really have, they're going to get mad if we don't get them to the cake and cookies. So how can we support you as your church family? And we intend to do that. And and we're going to pray for you in a minute to close the service. I want to challenge each and every one of you that that you not just pray with us tonight, but that you would consistently remember these guys in prayers. These these are people who are going out representing us, our family, our church. Please create whatever mechanism it is to daily, weekly, monthly, on some kind of a regular basis. Uh, Pray for them. George and his family, George and Vonda, and your kids' names are? Cecilia, Samuel, and Gabriel. Beautiful children. Pray for them. Uh, get on the, uh, their. What, what's the best way to get on to your to get linked to your blog and your website, George? It's really easy to remember. It's GodCalledUs.com. GodCalledUs.com. Send me an email. I'll, I'll reply to every email that that is that people send. I would love. To, I love to talk about our ministry. So I'd love to hear from you. Do that, and, and, and let me say to you guys, and these guys, I know these guys will all agree with this. Once you get out there, and you're, you're, you're doing this thing, and, you're, and the days be, turn into weeks and months and that kind of thing, communication from home, people who are remembering you and emailing you, if it's nothing more than once a month, Sarah, I thought about you today, is, is, is like gold, isn't it, George? It is like gold. And, and, and so please do that. I mean, I don't think as we don't think that way. Do we? Well, you know, that what's the big deal? No, that that means a lot. And so even things like that, get on these guys, get connected with them by email and such. And just just send them a, just communicate on some kind of a regular basis. Would you agree with that? 
Uh, and then beyond that, these two are, are having to raise a lot of money. And so on the way out, I want you to stop by, learn more about their ministry, ask them questions that, that we didn't have time for Q&A here, uh, and, and pick up a support, a pledge card, and pray about whether uh, God might lay it on your heart to do that. Same thing with George, uh, George, not only to support and sustain what the Cisneros family has taken on, but projects that God has led them into. And so get connected to their website for the same thing. And, uh, and then they can share other ways uh, to do that. Okay, let's close in prayer. Here's what I'd like you guys to do. We're, we're going to pray for them again next Wednesday night. Gwen, I'm going to ask you, I haven't talked to you about this before, but I'm going to ask you to, to help us to, to, to send them out a commissioning prayer next Wednesday night. So we'll do that together. But, but as we close our night tonight, would you just bow your heads, join your hearts with me as we uh, pray uh, over these guys. Dear Heavenly Father, we... We are so grateful. Uh, God, I do think about that meeting uh, for more than four years ago when, when our missions team said, we want this to be one of our stated goals, that, that people would be sent out from this place to do, with God's calling on their lives, empowered by your Holy Spirit in, in, in world missions. And, and, and even thinking at that moment, God, you're going to have to do that. And you have. You have stirred uh, the hearts of, of, of people, not just these three, but other families that have gone and, and served. And we're so grateful for that. But right now, God, we come before you. We lift up the Cisneros family. We lift up Sarah to you. We lift up Jenica to you. You know their journeys. They shared a small part of it here tonight. God, but the way that you have walked with them, I pray that you would continue to do that, God. Walk right next to them. Draw close to them. Whisper into their ear, Lord God, as they are stepping out into an unknown world of obedience to you and, and your calling. I pray that you would lead and guide them every step of the way. We pray for your protection, Lord God, that you would wrap your, 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 your protection around them, that you would keep them, Lord God, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and in every way. And God, I just pray that you would work through them, that you would do things that we could never even think to pray for, God, but that you would, would, would as they've offered themselves as an offering to you, that you would that you would speak through them, that you would reach through them, that you would do your work through them, God, in the words that they say, in their acts of kindness and in the routines of every day. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. We love you guys. We're proud of you. And I thank you so much. Can you thank uh, them again with me tonight? You don't need more than six minutes for cookies, right? If you have kids, make sure you don't go over six minutes. Otherwise, please hang out as long as you can. You guys need to sprint back to the table. George, thank you. Tell your family we love them. And have a great night. We hope to see you throughout this week. Karen is waving tickets and flyers right back there. Go, back, go to see her to get tickets. Have a good night.